1: live from the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio the George Washington Broadcast Center Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty Armstrong and Getty
0: and now key is Armstrong and Getty What you're listening to now is the Armstrong and Getty Show, but make sure to check out our many podcasts.
2: There's Armstrong and Getty Extra Large, featuring interviews with interesting people. There's Armstrong and Getty Select Cuts, and Armstrong and Getty One More Thing.
0: All are free, and all are available on the iHeart app or wherever you like to download your podcasts. So... Uh Cavalcade of Stories to bring you very quickly, and then we'll get to the main event. But uh, speaking of uh, uh, T. Swizzle, who Jack is obsessed with, <laughs> uh, Taylor Swift college courses to be offered at Harvard, UC Berkeley, and the University of Florida, among others. All right. What, what do they mean by that? Uh, Harvard professor and diehard Swifty Stephanie Albert will be teaching a new course called Taylor Swift and Her World. Set to debut at Harvard in the English department. I mean, if In this it's, class,
2: yes, if it if it's just a name to attract attention, and but it's actually about you know business or the entertainment world or a variety of other things that could actually be something you could learn doesn't
0: uh, seem to be okay. Okay, <laughs> there you go. Quote. In this class, students will earn college credit for their deep dives into Swift's lyrics, music, and no, influence. No, no, Dissecting no. her catalog and reading a host of authors Bert finds relevant to understanding Swift's artistry. No, the newspaper no, 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 no. A
2: deep dive into the lyrics of songs aimed at sophomore girls who have a crush? I'm not
0: thinking that should be a Harvard course. Bird added that she plans to explore the cruel summer singer's shift from the country genre to pop which coincided with her move from Nashville to Manhattan. Are you kidding with this
2: stuff? Hey, I didn't I'd forgotten this. So I was talking to Darren, one of our sales guys here the other day, and I I missed this. He said, "Do you remember when she came through when she's 17 through the radio station?" I said, "No, I don't remember that." So she was like an up and coming country artist at the time and this happens with like up-and-coming artists, they come through radio station, and she was traveling the country, and she came through, and she played in the lunchroom, just heard her guitar and sang some songs, and uh, and so few people showed up that the sales manager at the time went through the cubicles and said, Hey, could you come? We need, to, we need a few more people in there so this doesn't look embarrassing. And they're like, All right, I got other stuff to do, and people went in there and watched a 17-year-old wow. Taylor Swift sing a couple of songs, and then she signed stuff and took pictures with everybody, which... You know, but by today's standards, would be a really big deal.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. I have no memory of that whatsoever. Me neither.
2: But I'm, I'm man, sure that, I thought whatever and didn't go. I might have even wandered by and listened to a song I, or two. Possible. I have a number of yeah.
0: times for that sort of thing, but yeah, I couldn't name any of the the, the plucky folks. Anyway, uh, getting back, uh, here's where I annoy you. Uh, if I haven't already. Uh, getting back to that Harvard course, uh, she says, Taylor Swift is a good way to think about what it's like to have a lot of eyes on you and to wonder what you do with your privilege. Uh, to look around and ask. Uh, Sorry. I don't want my whole breakfast. Wow. Whoa, look that. That's last night's dessert. Oh.
2: oh, he went deep. Wow. Everything. <laughs> I think there was some Thanksgiving in there.
0: Ew. Now, uh, this may be a little t- more to your taste as you're describing it. Meanwhile, at UC Berserkly, students will be offered a four-credit course called Artistry and Entrepreneurship, Taylor's Version. In the spring, according to the LA Times, uh, the, uh, the our, teacher the teachers privilege, reckoning... Oh, oh there just, he goes again. There's clearly <laughs> some
2: stuffing in there. Um, th- th- yeah, that, that's, it. I can't hear... Right. I gotta, I gotta, like, I was gonna say, shave my head and become a monk. I've already done half of it. I need to, like, move to a cave. I can't handle this.
0: Let's see. So, the teacher at Berkeley uh, seeks to address the stereotypical critiques of Swift, as well as the pop star's ever increasing popularity and influence. Quote, I had the most fun dreaming up the unit on personas, perceptions, and personalities. There's so much to unpack in terms of the relationship between Taylor as an individual and an image in the media and how she constantly reinvents her music and style.
2: Like, so, has this always been going on? Because I feel like we used to, if there was, like, you know, the Archies or the Partridge family or some other, like... You know, music group way back in the day was popular among young people. You didn't feel like it had to have some greater meaning and teach a college class about it. It was just, you know, the popular fluff of the day for for young people.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. And, well, you know what? I was going to move on, but I can't resist. Uh... What
2: the Frisbee means about capitalism, you know, or something.
0: What? Uh, Similarly, the University of Florida will be offering a course on Swift called Musical Storytelling with Taylor Swift and other iconic female artists. Uh, The instructor will oversee, quote, 13 gorgeous weeks of discussing Taylor Swift's discography with a focus on her evergreen songwriting.
2: You know, one of the reasons I'm dismissive of this is I took a class called rock and roll music in college, and I thought, well, that'll be cool and fun. And it was you know it was kind of cool in front of the time as like a 21 year old but in retrospect and even at the time there's nothing to the, there's nothing here that's the least bit important not the least I could have read a Rolling Stone article at some point if I was interested in it as a hobby but it's just there was nothing that needed to be discussed at the college level
0: boy if any college or university listening would like an instructor to teach a waste of time, snowflake easy class for their overpriced woke undergrads to take, I'd be happy to do it. I could do it like a ring and a bell. Oh, yeah. But that would be a waste of everybody's time. And money. Here's my favorite headline today. It's from the AP. British Inquiry finds serious failings at hospital where worker had sex with more than 100 corpses. Yeah. I, what sort of failings? I, what do you mean? I, re- <laughs> I read
2: this story. Did you hear about did you read the part about how he got caught? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, they walked in and, uh, uh, deceased grandma was on the, uh, the mm. wrong end of lust there. Mm. they saw and they him use... and then he claimed that he claimed that he had a, a, a physical episode. Like he got lightheaded and passed out and accidentally when he fell, it r- ripped his belt and his pants came undone. And, uh, and the corpse got torn, the the bag around the corpse got oh, torn open. Right. So that's what he claimed. And then so they, all right, well, they didn't really believe him and then they did some DNA evidence and figured out that he was, uh, he was sexing up the corpses is what he was doing. The, you talk, so I saw his uh, picture too, his mugshot. He looks like, a corpse blanker a corpse blanker and uh you can't go all forward with a life after that can you you have a mugshot for that how about you if you're even his family you got to change your name and
0: move that is yeah just- you know the ap doesn't mention that aspect of the story the excuse he made i mean oh yeah, yeah. It, So they, it's too dark and grim to be hilarious but if it well it's horrifying it is horrifying and hilarious
2: Some co-workers walk in the room where they store the corpses and there he is with his pants down around his waist up against a corpse and oh, so he claimed my. No, i had an episode i fell and my buckle caught and the blah
0: yeah well as it turns out uh the dn well they investigated uh, whether he was responsible for a similar acts because there aren't a ton of people in London doing this, uh, and sure enough, the DNA tied him to a number of necrophiliac offenses and and two murders. Oh, well, so he, he will he will never be getting out.
2: You know what? Do you do to my body once I'm dead? It doesn't matter to me at all. I'm not that sort of I'm person. I'm not
0: doing that. I promise you.
2: <laughs> I know a lot of people would be really bothered by a loved one having, but I just I don't feel like the body's much once you're gone. But. Um... He could have been. He could have done that a thousand times. Obviously, who knows? Dead men tell no tales. That's one reason. Uh, two, you just don't think about it. You don't think. I wonder if old Jim down there in the where they keep the stiffs is a uh... nah. Surely not.
0: <sighs> Can we move on? I'd I'd really like to move on.
1: Armstrong and Getty, the Armstrong and Getty Show.
0: This is what it's all been leading toward, the nominees for the Clip of the Year. Three, two,
1: one, This month I celebrated my Day 365 of Womanhood, and Bud Light sent me possibly the best gift ever, a can with my face on it. To see the moment in time in which we exist and are present... And to be able to contextualize it, to understand where we exist in the history and in the moment as it relates not only to the past but the future.
3: Wow, well, I'm Catholic, but I'm also Jewish-ish. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's what's boiling the oceans, creating these atmospheric rivers and the rain bombs.
2: That was quite entertaining from someone that had a sexual relationship with a Chinese spy,
0: and everyone knows it. <laughs>
4: I had no idea that we would see a plan as
2: ephemeral and as malodorous
4: as this plan.
0: Hunter Biden made
3: around $7 million in income, but makes clear he did not do actual work.
1: Ah, we're not oh, Biden. We have no weapons there. at
0: all! Hey, sir, you tell me
1: what we're environmental t- <laughs> protesters!
3: The war uh, which... Uh, are trying to stop, and which was launched against us using the Ukraine. <laughs> yeah. Stop misgendering people. That's bigotry? Go away. It's a
1: question. It's bigotry? Go away. Please <laughs> go away. Uh, filing a motion of, to expel a member who, in a moment of panic, was trying to escape a vestibule? Give me a break.
4: To put aside partisan politics for the good of the American people say oh they're just cleaning up this place because all those fancy leaders are coming into town um, that's true because it's true anytime you put on an event by definition you know you, you have people over your house you're gonna clean up the house uh you're gonna make sure the kids you know make their bets you know take the socks you know let's just put them in the drawer they heck! i
0: almost lost my wife my 67 corvette <laughs> and my cat
3: but all kidding aside Hand oh. signals don't mean anything, it's a cat, dude.
2: really, okay, cat pervert.
3: Cat I have done, I've done cat nothing herbert. to bring the- hey, dude, stop, he's lost stop, it, stop, he's stop. lost it. You know what, there's
2: a crime about you harboring my cat.
3: What crime is that? It's
2: against the law.
3: What crime is that?
2: It's called harboring an animal. Our country is being destroyed by stupid people. I've loved so much of this job, helping to explain America to Washington and explain
0: Washington to America. Things are getting weird. And they're getting weird fast. There's a lot that was a spectacular, worthy, powerful group of clips.
2: There's a lot of good stuff in there. The
0: were Burm- the finalists, to your mind.
2: Oh, the finalists? Uh, Camel has got to be in there. Dylan Mulvaney. The past and the future relating to the past and, but yet with the future, but again to the past. I mean, that is right. one of her
0: all-time greats. What the hell Marjorie Taylor Greene mocking Swalwell, and everyone knows it. And yeah.
2: everyone knows it.
0: Yeah. Uh, the burning.
2: So the Burning Man protester. We're invited. Protesters just (laughs) tell
0: shut up. Oh my god, Sergey Lavrov being laughed off the stage for claiming that uh, Russia was attacked. The funniest one is that whole cat pervert thing. (laughs) Yeah, that was priceless. Harboring an animal, (laughs) cat pervert,
2: cat pervert.
0: Wow, Gavi Newsom, the would-be president. People claim this, and it's true, because it's true.
2: (laughs) I think Chuck Todd's goodbye and meet the press is the single most pompous thing I've ever heard a single
0: human being say in my life, which is quite amazing. Yeah, it is uber pompous. It is pretentious to uh, the nth degree, especially from somebody who has practically no understanding of average Americans, of, of people in quote unquote flyover country, a term I'm sure he's used a million times. Right. On the other hand,
2: is there anything, is there any way I can guarantee that I don't hear Dylan Mulvaney's name or voice in 24? Is there a contract I can sign? or Is there a fee
0: to be paid? <laughs> Yeah. An agency I can uh, appeal to? It's probably a subscription. It's just five <laughs> bucks a month, so you figure, what the hell, I might as well. Ten years from now, you'll still have that subscription.
2: That'd be fine if it filters out all references of Dylan Mulvaney for the rest of my life.
0: Well, and, and I don't mean to prejudice the voting or anything, but I, I, I don't know. As delightful and wonderful and hilarious and, and dopey as so many of those clips were, I don't know how... You, well, Elon's, things are getting weird, and they're getting weird fast. Um, but again, I do not mean to prejudice the voting.
2: Um, Katie, do you have a vote? The things are getting weird, and they're getting weird fast. Michael, you got a vote? Yeah, you know, the cat pervert is the funniest to me, but Absolutely. there's a funny yeah. one, and then there's <laughs> the most, you know, the the serious one that is what we are in today's times. So I would vote for Elon on that one. Hanson, what's your vote? He's going to say in my ear. <laughs> he's...
0: he's- the comedy he's, stylings he's, of Mike Hanson. He's going right. with
2: Dylan Mulvaney. Okay, fine.
0: Oh, you know what? It's defensible. Yeah, it cost yeah, yeah. major corporations oh.
2: hundreds of millions of dollars. Set off a firestorm, as uh, Hanson just said, and really uh, drew attention
0: to the whole trans issue. No doubt about it. It was a big deal. and may have been the beginning of the end of the trans issue. Uh, Jack, would you like to vote?
2: Uh, I think this is clearly, as has been voted on by most people, the clip of the year
0: things are getting weird and they're getting weird fast it's just too damned true it it is the the caption of our time like every single thing that happened you could caption with
2: that every category politics the entertainment just anything it it's it's everything
0: Things are getting weird, and they're getting weird fast. Yeah. Not happy about that. No, it's funny. The clip of the year has reduced all of us to quiet contemplation. Right. (laughs) Isn't there a fanfare, Michael? Or come on now, where the crowd goes wild. (laughs) What kind
2: of fanfare (laughs) is that?
0: (laughs) It had that wahoo horn, which is nice.
2: You know... 2020. So remember the. Aren't you glad 2020 is over? And we all thought that was one crazy year. Right. 21 was just as crazy, and so it was 22 and 23. I, I, I'm like tired going into 2024.
0: I know what you mean. I. I yeah.
2: I. Well, I guess it's <laughs> because these previous years coming out of 2020, I, I had expectations and hopes. And a reason to believe that that was a crazy year in our past and now things are going to go back to normal. I have no belief in that. I think 24 is going to be the wildest year yet for all kinds of obvious reasons. With a couple of wars going on and a presidential election and everything we talked about with the way Trump's going to be painted. And uh, the, the, the court cases for Biden and his son and an impeachment. It's, it's going to be off the charts.
0: Yeah, I feel like we're going to be building on the previous crazy. There's no like reset. There's no windshield wiper or erasing the chalkboard in a schoolroom. No, we're gonna build on the crazy we already have and go from there into twenty-four. But there will be many laughs. No, a laugh- kiss is still a kiss. Laughter
2: will be over in twenty
0: twenty-four. Oh, it's the end of irony.
2: I end of irony, that. end of laughter. Joy. That's right. The 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 expulsion of joy. <laughs> Quick question for you. What if you happen to miss this unbelievable radio program?
0: The answer is easy, friends. Just download our podcast, Armstrong and Getty On Demand. It's the podcast version of the broadcast show, available anytime, any day, every single podcast platform known to man. Download it
2: now. Armstrong and Getty On Demand. Armstrong
1: and Getty. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver. From the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio, and the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong, Jackie Jack, and Joe Getty. Joey, baby,
0: things are getting weird, and they're getting weird fast. Armstrong and Getty,
1: but I know this—they're loco. And everyone knows it, but the dramatics could come down just a little bit.
0: And now he is Armstrong and Getty. So the rise of Trump has been explained by various folks in various ways, and those explanations have ranged from the unspeakably moronic and and grossly oversimplified to pretty insightful at times. One of my favorites, somebody said that uh, a lot of working America, um, well, a lot of America, period, has gotten nothing but condescension and judgment from the left and false promises from the right about globalization, that sort of thing, for instance. That it would. Oh, it's good for everybody. Yeah, my the plant I worked at for twenty years just left. Anyway, uh, David Brooks of the New York Times is—he's uh, uh, allegedly a conservative. He's kind of a moderate conservative of a New York northeastern bent. Um, but he's a good writer, though, and his piece this week is getting a lot of attention. The headline is "What if we're the bad guys here?" And he writes about how Trump is still dominant in spite of all the uh, indictments and stuff. And I'm going to read you a pretty good chunk of this. It's more reading than generally we do, but it's just so good. And I was looking for stuff to edit out, and there just isn't much. But he writes, we anti-Trumpers often tell a story to explain his viability. It was encapsulated in a quote from the University of North Carolina political scientist Mark Hetherington, quote, Republicans see a world changing around them uncomfortably fast, and they want it to slow down, maybe even take a step backward. But if you're a person of color, a woman who values gender equality, or an LGBT person, would you want to go back to 1963? I doubt it.
2: Boy, I hate you, whoever you are. (laughs) <laughs> Who's, who yeah. said this? Yeah, whenever yeah. it's... Uh, it, the Republicans are just have trouble with, uh, you know, a
0: black man was president, and that was... Oh, shut up with that. That is, speaking of condescension and judgment, that was just dripping with grossly oversimplified uh, condemnation. Yeah, go to hell, Mark Hetherington. Anyway, in this story, we anti-Trumpers are the good guys, the forces of progress and enlightenment. The Trumpers are reactionary bigots and authoritarians. Many Republicans support Trump no matter what, according to this story, because at the end of the day, he's still the bigot-in-chief, the embodiment of their resentments, and that's what matters to them most. I partly agree with this story, but it's also a monument to elite self-satisfaction. Yeah, I've got a reason why you partly agree with that story, David Brooks, but I'll get to that later. So let me try another story on you. I ask you to try on a vantage point in which we anti-Trumpers are not the eternal good guys. In fact, we're the bad guys. The story begins in the 1960s when high school grads had to go fight in Vietnam, but the children of the educated class got college deferments including Trump, ironically, uh, plus his heel. It continues in the 1970s when the authorities imposed busing on working-class areas in Boston, but not on the upscale communities like Wellesley, where they themselves lived. Huh. Yeah, we'll return to that theme in a bit. The idea that we're all in this... Together was replaced with the reality that the educated class live lives in a world up here and everybody else is forced to work in a world down there. Members of our class are always publicly speaking out for the marginalized, but somehow we always end up building systems that serve ourselves. The most important of these systems is the modern meritocracy. We've built an entire social order that sorts and excludes people on the basis of the quality that we possess most, academic achievement. Highly educated parents go to elite schools, marry each other, work at high-paying professional jobs, and pour enormous resources into our children who get into those same elite schools, marry each other, and pass their exclusive class privileges down from generation to generation. (laughs) Ding, 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 ding so far. My only objection to to that part of his argument is that it's a very northeastern point of view. Those of us who've lived and grown up in the rest of the country, it's not that stratified and not in the same way. There's truth to it. It's just not quite the same as, you know, you live in New York, New England. But anyway, moving on. Uh, Daniel Markovitz yeah, I summarized. Think, I,
2: think, yeah. I think growing up in the rural Midwest, I saw all that on TV, though. It mm-hmm. wasn't where I lived at all. I mean, we were, everybody was the same, practically everywhere I lived. <laughs> like, everybody was roughly the same size house with the same si- kind of car, same, um, mostly everywhere I lived. But we saw all that on TV. So we're completely aware of the
0: existence of that.
2: Mm-hmm. In the, yeah, so it know, had a
0: cultural the, effect in the halls of power. So he writes, David Markovist summarized years of research in his book, The Meritocracy Trap. Today, middle-class children lose out to the rich children at school. The middle-class adults lose out to elite graduates at work meritocracy blocks the middle class from opportunity then it blames those who lose a competition for income and status that even when everybody plays by the rules only the rich can win again I think that's overstated but moving along Uh, the meritocracy isn't only a system of exclusion it's an ethos during his presidency Barack Obama used the word smart in the context of his policies over 900 times what's the implication for anyone who disagrees with his policy And perhaps didn't go to Harvard Law. They must be stupid. Over the last decades we've taken over whole professions and locked everybody else out. This is something I knew cuz I'd read about it, but you might find it extra interesting. Uh Brooks writes when I began my journalism career in Chicago in the in the 80s, there were still some old crusty working class guys running around the newsroom. Now we're not only a college dominated profession, we're an elite college dominated profession. Only 0.8% of college graduate uh, college students graduate from the super elite 12 schools. Less than 1% a 2018 study found that more than 50% of the staff writers at the beloved New York Times and the Wall Street Journal attended one of the 29 most elite universities in the
2: nation. That's incredible. Not It's not really surprising, but that that would occur and, and, and continue and they'd be okay with it and think, yeah, yeah, we uh, we have the ability to to uh, represent the, the, the country as a whole. What are you talking about?
0: Yeah, how astounding is that imbalance that the, the Eastern media elite who we're always mentioning are half of them are from the top 29 elites universities in the nation in a, and when we all grew up, a lot of us who are a little bit older anyway, we saw journalism in a certain way. That was when it was a working class profession. You are a good writer, and you are a good seeker of truth, etc., but you weren't some sort of elite, you know, Columbia University, nose-in-the-air Manhattanite. It's ridiculous. Then he goes on uh, another quote from Daniel Markovitz, uh, as he puts it, quote, Elite graduates monopolize the best jobs and at the same time invent new technologies that privilege super-skilled workers, making the best jobs better and all the other jobs worse. Members of our class also segregate themselves into a few booming metro areas, San Francisco, D.C., Austin, so on. In 2020, here's another couple of great statistics. Biden won about 500 counties. But together, they're responsible for 71% of the American economy. Trump won over 2,500 counties, 2,500 to 500, responsible for only about 29%. And once we find our clicks, we don't get out much. In the book Social Class in the 21st Century, the sociologist Mike Savage and his co-researchers found that the members of the highly educated class tend to be the most insular, measured by how often they have contact with those who have jobs unlike our own.
2: Of course, not not shocking in the least.
0: How many many times have you heard us tell you that the Eastern media elite are the most bubbled of bubble peoples? There's proof of it. Or more evidence, armed with all kinds of economic, cultural, and political power, we support policies that help ourselves. Free trade makes the products we buy cheaper, and our jobs are unlikely to be moved to China. Open immigration makes our service staff cheaper, but now less educated immigrants aren't likely to put downward pressure on our wages.
2: And it's not affecting your schools and
0: emergency rooms, exactly. And that's why, uh, exactly, when uh, Brooks said, "I part," the story is partly true. That these dumb Republicans, they fear the other or the coloring of America. If your school has all of a sudden 200 children who don't speak English and nobody can learn now because the teachers all have to catch them up on English, that's not fearing the other. That's a specific, undeniable, sickening concern about your children's future. That doesn't happen in David Freaking Brooks' neighborhood. Nope. Or and Nancy I shouldn't have Pelosi. dropped a freaking on him because he's being pretty good with this article. Or Nancy Pelosi, right? Good point. Like all elites, we use language and mores as a tool to recognize one another and exclude others. Using words like problematic, cisgender, Latinx, and intersectional is a sure sign that you've got cultural capital coming out of your ears. Meanwhile, members of the less less educated classes have to walk on eggshells because they never know when we've changed the usage rules so that something that was sayable five years ago now gets you fired. And then he gets into another topic, which we talked about several weeks ago, the idea of luxury values. He doesn't name them that, but I like the term. He says, we also change the moral norms in ways that suit ourselves, never mind the cost to others. For example, there used to be a norm that discouraged people from having children outside of marriage. But that got washed away during our period of cultural dominance as we eroded norms that seemed judgmental or that might inha- inhibit individual freedom. After the social norm was eroded, a funny thing happened. Members of our class still overwhelmingly married and had children within wedlock. People without our resources, unsupported by social norms, were less able to do that. As Adrian Woldridge points out in his 2021 book, The Aristocracy of Talent, 60% of births to women with only a high school certificate occurred out of wedlock. 60%, compared with 10% of women with a university degree. That matters. He continues because the rate of single parenting is the single most significant predictor of social immobility in the country. Meaning, the number one predictor: you're going to stay poor. The idea of the elite spouting revolutionary ideas about how to reform society and letting that wash around the poor neighborhoods, meanwhile they stay with the uh, muffy and 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 uh, you know whatever in their giant house with their Harvard degree and the rest of it, living as they've always lived as society crumbles. There's just a little more. Do we have a minute? Yeah. Uh bah, 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 bah. Elite institutions have become so politically progressive in part because the people in them want to feel good about themselves as they take part in systems that exclude and reject. It's easy to understand why people in less educated classes would conclude that they're under economic, political, cultural, and moral assault, and why they've rallied around Trump as their best warrior against the educated class. He understands that it's not the entrepreneurs who seem most threatening to workers, it's the professional class. Trump understood that there was great demand for a leader who would stick his thumb in our eyes on a daily basis and Reject the whole regime that we rode in on. If If distrustful populism is your basic worldview, the Trump indictments seem like just another skirmish in the class war between the professionals and the workers. Another assault by a bunch of coastal lawyers who want to take down the man who most aggressively stands up to them. Of course, the indictments don't cause Trump supporters to abandon him. They cause them to become more fiercely loyal. That's the polling story of the last six months.
2: Yeah, I don't know if I'm as solidly in agreement with all the stuff around the trump indictment uh narrative but all that other part you know about him getting elected in the first place and everything since is just so clearly true and i think we've more or less said it in different words for the past six years mm-hmm. uh just so obviously true it's just amazing that he you know is with enough studying and thinking about it is figured out what was obviously true <laughs>
0: My final note is, uh, you know, one of my greatest hits. To whatever extent we try to understand the world around us, particularly the United States of America, through the eyes of the media elite, we are being wildly misled. Of course. Look around you. That's America. Their version of America doesn't exist except in their tiny little cloisters. Right.
1: Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. <laughs>
3: Listen to the Big Take on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: The Armstrong and Getty Show. <laughs> you want
2: to give us a brief version of why? What did you say? Government? Something around there
0: is our. Well, gentleman. as I as I explained, I, I came across a set of statistics about how. Welfare and Medicaid rolls have grown, even as unemployment has shrunk historically. And how the government is playing games with uh, what is reported and what is not, as income, as subsidies, whatever. Um, And the net result being millions more Americans are now dependent on the government for their daily bread, and happy to be, because they don't necessarily have to work and and such. But it's part of the great insidious uh, conspiracy, and I realize that that uh, term is fraught these days, but it, it it truly is among the left politically to get as many people dependent on the government as possible. Because if you are giving people their daily bread, they will vote for you every single time. They have to. You cannot be independent if you're dependent.
2: We had the socialism conversation uh, at my house the other day, did with my 11-year-old. And it went pretty much exactly the way it did when I asked my dad about it when I was roughly his age. And I remember asking my dad, why don't we just, you know, divide everything up equally? And he said, well, then nobody would try, because if everybody got the same amount, whether you tried hard or not, people wouldn't try. And I thought, oh, okay. And I've never thought about it since. It makes a sense. perfect sense, <laughs> Papa. And I, and I never thought about it again. I mean, I never questioned that ever again from age whatever that was on. And I had the yeah. same conversation my son asked basically the same question the other day. We were watching TV and... The topic of communism came up and everything like that. And he wondered, what was it? I explained it. And, it, it. and I could tell with him, it just said, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And I saw, I don't, why does it work on some of you, like, 40-year-old intellectuals? I don't, I don't get it.
0: Yeah, what's wrong with you? Yeah. So, speaking of parenting, let me share this with you. Um, I was uh, I was getting ready to to head out into the chill today before the show. And uh, I, I have a hoodie, hoodie on. And I was putting it on under my jacket. And because of the nature of the, uh, the the fabrics involved, I had to hold on to the sleeve of my hoodie as I slipped it inside the jacket. We sure. all remember that, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and Otherwise I'm not a it rides guy. up on your arm and gets all bunched up. Hate that. You know, I am not a guy who believes in all sorts of mystical stuff. I'm a realist. I'm a pretty hardcore realist. But I flashed in my memory to my mom teaching me how to do that. Oh, wow. As a little kid. Wow. And I remember thinking as a kid, wow, that works great. And then it dawned on me, today is the two-year anniversary of my mom passing away. Oh, wow. Yeah. That is something. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't know exactly what to make of it, other than to remember my mom with love. But no, yeah, no, that was kind of a moment.
2: Not <laughs> a coincidence. But yeah. what? I don't. Think, I don't
0: know. I don't think your brain's keeping track of the date. No. Well, my dad mentioned it last week, but no, it was quite specific. Pulling on my sleeves and remembering my mommy.
3: Wow. And,
0: uh, yeah, I know. Isn't that something? Wow. Yeah. Well I believe in that sort of stuff, so it's not doesn't, you know, doesn't freak me had, out anyway. I had a long talk with a buddy of mine about this the other day about how the energy that is the human soul and it undeniably is, uh, it has to go somewhere. If you believe that no energy can be created or nor removed, as physics teaches us, can just be changed, you know. Uh I don't I don't know. I don't know. If you know, drop us an email. Here comes <laughs> 500 If you know
2: what happens after we pass away, send us an email. Wow,
0: that's that your was, all-time best. That was wry, folks. That was a joke. Oh well, no, feel free. If, if it makes you happy to share your thoughts, go ahead. I can't promise I'll read all of them.
2: Well, a close friend of mine has been dealing with uh, their father passing away, died last week, and had been out of town uh, dealing with that whole thing and going through the... And I haven't, you know, I'm not looking forward to ever doing this. My mom and dad are listening right now, so it's probably not a comfortable conversation for them either. Shout but, out. Yeah. <laughs> but um, uh, like they are, you know, the siblings dealing with all, while you're upset about your parent dying, you're dealing with the whole taxes and logistics and funeral home, all this different sort of stuff, and. Enough Enough to make you want to die. Yeah, yeah, it's really something. But anyway, got onto that kind of conversation or whatever, and I personally 100% believe there's something afterwards. Like, I don't have the slightest doubt whatsoever. I'm the opposite of Christopher Hitchens, who claimed he was 100% convinced that when it's over, it's over, there's nothing else. And, uh, like, no doubt was not going to have the least... I'm 100% the other direction. Like, I don't know why, but I just have zero Mm. doubt. There's there's something, something else happening.
0: Yeah. Well,
2: I wish I knew.
1: Armstrong and Getty. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on Season 3 of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers.
3: The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters